less stuff's going to hang out there. So, good evening, everybody. It's good to be back. It feels like I was gone forever. Oh, that didn't help. What was that? I'm um, trying to make this bigger. I have an alternative keyboard that I use. Um, because of my carpal tunnel, I've learned to type in something called Dvorak, which is more efficient and requires less movement of the wrist when you're typing. But it makes all of your hotkeys to like zoom and that kind of stuff not where they're supposed to be. So I have no idea how to zoom in. And when I hit zoom on the window, that did not do what I wanted. So I want to make this bigger view. That would be it. See, it should be Control plus or Command plus, but it didn't work when I hit it before. So here we go. All right, so I have a little bit of a different, and sorry about all these extra things you get to stare at, a little bit of a different approach today. Well, look at that. You can't see it anyway. I'll just keep talking, yeah. Uh, I don't know, but we got Peter, Peter and Harry are with us. Um, that's really weird that, because it made the screen change shape when I did this. You know what? I shouldn't have done that. It probably is just the input. Oh, there it is. There you go. Yeah, so you get to see all the extra goober stuff now. Um, we'll go back to the, the format from before with Proverbs and, and whatnot. Um, but I was... Uh, Sunday, the reason I didn't come back from the conference I was at in order to be here Sunday morning is because I had been asked to speak Sunday night at Camp Silka, which is the Central Illinois District, oh my goodness, alphabet soup, um, Central Illinois District's camp. In the Northern Illinois District, we have one called Wall Camp. You probably have heard of Wall Camp, right? Um, just about every LCMS district has their own family camp, hearkening back to the 50s and 60s when it was thought that the future of ministry is going to be family camps and kids camps. And so everyone got one. And most of them are struggling now. Most districts are really struggling to keep them going. Um, Silka is about as close to us as Wall Camp. Not quite. It's a little further. Um, in the summer, sometimes we've had some kids go to uh, Iodesica, which is, so uh, Central Illinois Lutheran Camp Association, I think is what Silka is. I don't know where Wall Camp as a name comes from. You got me. But this is Iowa District East Camp, right? Um, anyhow, yeah, anybody know Wall Camp, where it came from as a name? Walter. Oh, Walther Camp. I like it better now. That, I, could, <laughs> I could handle that. I always thought it was just the weirdest thing, like Walmart, Wall Camp. I mean, it... Uh, so Camp Silka was having their, uh, their annual fundraiser, and they asked me to come and, and speak as kind of the entertainment side of it. Um, and so rather than drive from Fort Wayne back up here and then try to drive down there and then drive back home again all in a big swoop, I decided to take an extra day, did some retreat work, um, and was there instead. They asked me to talk about the first article. Um, which I want to talk a little bit about now, because this is increasingly becoming like my, my hobby horse. Um, and by that I mean, it's something that, if we don't start paying more careful attention to it, um, it's going to keep 
damaging us is going to keep damaging us. And maybe you don't even know how it is damaging us, but it is. Um, and without you know, trying to just do the talk again, I, I want to do a little more back and forth with you tonight. Um, but I think we don't believe in this article as Americans more than the other two articles. That's the article on Jesus and the article on the Holy Spirit. I think this is really where the biggest issue is. Um, and I'm going to try to kind of show you that tonight and talk about it a little bit, but I'm also curious to have your own thoughts on it uh, because uh, walking together in faith as a community, as a, as a, not just an organization or a club, but as, as a group of Christians, it happens in this space. Now, I may be using too much jargon already, and I want to pull it apart. Thank you, honey. But where we're going is by the end, I want you to know when I say we struggle with the first article, I want you to have some idea of what I mean by that. So is that your concern is when I just... Yeah, yeah, well, right, so, articles of what? That's just it. Oh, maybe that pen wasn't empty and the pens are all just like that. Look at that. Um, okay, so, I think, I think a number of you have heard this shtick before. Um, so I just want to do it the same, but whenever I'm teaching confirmation class, I will try to help the kids get some referent point for the, the header terminology in our catechism. Oh, that sounds bad just the way I said it there. So even like the word catechism is a foreign word. It doesn't really make sense as a word. I don't see it and go, oh, I know what that means, unless it's like some book that I don't know what that means. It's just a book, right? Um, and then within the catechism, we have some, some segmentations that are made, some sections. And the first one, we're all pretty sure what we know what a commandment is, right? Like if I say commandment to somebody in English anywhere, they're, they're going to get it even though we don't like have commandments in Rockford quite, right? There's no Rockford commandments or anything. But we all kind of know what it means. Interestingly, um, the word command is not in the text surrounding the Ten Commandments. Um, it doesn't say that God spoke Ten Commandments. It said God spoke Ten Words, which is kind of interesting. But all the same, the commandments aren't that tough. We all kind of know it. Ten Commandments, I get it. Well, that's the Fifth Commandment. You might not know it by number, but you kind of know that you shall not murder is one of the commandments, right? Like that's all, I'm not speaking foreign language when I say this to you. But as soon as I move into the creed and I start talking about the first, second, and third articles, you were with me up to third, right? And as soon as I say that word articles, somehow I started speaking Greek. And I'm not sure I know why this is. But I feel it, too. It's not the way we talk. I know that. Um, even though we use this word article all over the place. We talk about, if you find a sock in a corner, you have found an article of clothing, right? If you get a newspaper and you want to share one story, you're going to cut out the article, right? So we use the word all the time. But for some reason, the way we use it with the creed 
is at a disconnect. Now, I don't know what to really call it instead, and, I, and we can't change it in one sense. It's going to say that in our catechism book no matter what we do. But somehow we need to know what that word means and translate it in our head every time we see it into something that makes sense. And the same is true in the Lord's Prayer for this word petition, which again, this is a very American word. Every time anything bad happens somewhere, somebody goes online and starts a petition, right? And you try to get a bunch of people to sign it. There's even like whole websites, so you can, you can start a petition for you know, whatever your cause is. My cause is that people don't make me breakfast every morning and bring it to me. Please sign my petition. I will show to my wife that seven people agree with me, and she should you know, join me on this. Um, there is another use of this word in English. Aside from that, that one, um, mm, but I'm losing it now. It is, a, is a, is a courtroom kind of word, right? So you might petition the court uh, with a, a legal brief if you're a lawyer or, or working for a lawyer. Um, so again, we use the word, but then somehow when I talk about the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, now I've just turned into an alien, right? It just, it just doesn't click. Um, so I can tell you over and over again that the word petition just means request. And if you're smart, you're going to say, then why don't we just call it the seven requests? Fair question. I don't know. When they translated it, they picked petition, and now we've got it, right? Um, article's tougher, though. Again, and... and Can just be the part? part, yeah, that's helpful. It may be better. It sounds so boring. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the first part. But the thing about then, okay... Leaving petitions aside for another day, and leaving commandments aside for another day, because this is where we want to go. Um, I'm getting talked to. I'm going to silence this thing. Um, uh, I want to. I want to try to teach inductively. I want you to have to guess so that you think about it and maybe. The point will be clearer when you come to it on your own if, than if I just tell you. So um, when a pastor stands up and talks in your, in your history, your life, you've, most of you have grown up Lutheran to some extent, not all of you, but most of you, okay? You've been in churches. When a pastor talks about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, in relationship to the creed and puts the creed into three parts, they might name each section something, a single word, uh, for each one of those sections. And I'll give you the first one. I bet you get the rest of them. The first one would be creation. And the second one would be, nobody? With an R? Could be salvation, but usually they use the word R. Redemption. Yeah, redemption. And then by now, you've got to have number three, right? Oh, sanctification. Okay. Now, here's my question. Are those parts of something? Or, given that you have the creator, the redeemer, and the sanctifier are the Father, Son, and Spirit parts of God. Right? And yeah, the answer is no. 
Yeah. So this is this is the challenge with the word part. Okay. Um, not that article is necessarily better. It does it does connect to the three persons of the Trinity without question because that's what we're confessing. But each of these persons has. I still want to lean. To, I don't know if this is right, but they have a story. A, there are three stories that are told. And they all connect to each other. Um, you really can't have one without the other. But they are stories. I see, Rebecca. I'm going to throw one more word up here. Um, you also have three works, or maybe even ways of acting. Now, three things God does. Which the word article doesn't really convey any of that, right? Um, did you have? Ooh. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how directly that would connect to why this is called that, um, or why we use that word. But that's worth looking into and thinking about. Um, hmm. Expounding on it. But the, again, the danger a little bit would be, is this just expounding on God? But yeah, it's the first articulation of God? Eh, I don't know. True, true. But the danger would be if we separate, whenever you're dealing with the Trinity, we have two tendencies. One is to separate them so much that they are not entirely God, each alone. And the other is to mush them so together that they're all the same person, right? And it's interesting. Um, the articulation of God as creator, like you almost could think of like, um, oh, what's, what's, there's a word for this. Um, the pagans will talk about various manifestations of their gods. So Zeus would show up as different things. He would articulate himself in different ways. He'd be a bull or he'd be a guy with a lightning bolt, right? Um, and so I could see how that could maybe be problematic, but you're, you're probably right, though. Somehow, that word article, it's, it's a really, if you wanted to get down to the root of what it means, it's like a thing that's not something else. That's not very, I don't think it's very helpful. My wife shakes her head like that made sense. Like, so when you look at a newspaper and you're like, I liked this article, I didn't like that article, you just mean I liked the pile of words over here and I didn't like the pile of words over here. And the only way I can tell them apart is I call one an article, one an article. I mean, when a sock is an article of clothing, now is a pair of socks an article of clothing? No, it's two articles of clothing. So the one sock's not the other sock, even though they go together. But it's, again, that's not very helpful for thinking about God, I don't think. <laughs> you know? Go ahead, Christy. The parts of the creed are explaining what it is that we're confessing. Mm-hmm. Agreed, but I'm going to go ahead and still say they're explaining who God is by telling you what God does. So even with that explanation, it's not just, it's not a math equation, right? Uh, it's a story. And I, I really believe that our loss of that, not just understanding, but sort of love, now, how can you say you love the Nicene Creed? Well, gosh, if you just have to memorize it, you're not going to. It's a little long, right? And it's just enough different from the apostles that if you do one 
too many times in a row, you get stuck and can't do the other, right, as we just found out. Um, so how do we recover the love? And I, and I believe it is starting to see this as more than just a list of things or a mere explanation of God. It is, what's the class called right now, right? Knowing God. That, that is what it is, is to know God. But where do you know God? How do you know God? And our answer, what we confess, what we witness to, think about that. What's a witness do? They tell you what they saw, right? And to confess is to say what you heard or perhaps what you did or what someone else did. And so in these, we are, we are saying what God did, saying what we've heard God say about himself, saying what the eyewitnesses saw. That's what each of these quote-unquote articles, parts, stories are doing. Now, in that then, it's not as though the Son was not involved in creation or that the Father's not involved in sanctification. They are. Um, they are always working in harmony together. But remembering that and then hearing that nothing I say is going to be against that idea. Each of these three stories, these acts that they do, does summarize something very different from the others. And so, um, when we confess that I believe in God, comma, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I am, I am very briefly telling the story of the six days of creation and the total design of man in a perfect paradise. And I'm alluding to a little bit the fall. Okay? Now, it's not right there in the words, but it is ultimately there. Um, when I confess, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who right, was conceived, was born, was died, suffered, all that, um, I'm now talking about a bit of a different story. I'm not talking about the creation, I'm talking about a single man at a very specific place and time doing very specific things. Under Pontius Pilate. It's actually the most difficult phrase in the whole creed for the modern scholar is under Pontius Pilate. Uh, they, they don't want to believe that because it's real. And it makes it real. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit, uh, and in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian or Catholic Church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, all of those things are part of the story of what it means to be Christians together. What does it mean when we get together as Christians? What do we have as Christians? Well, we call it this thing church. What's that? Well, it's communion and the forgiveness of sins. And all of that's leading to the resurrection. So then you get the last day thrown in there as well. So in the article, in the story of sanctification, being made holy, being set apart, you also have the end of the world part of that, is part of that story. To be set apart, what are we set apart as? People who know the end of the world is coming. People who know the end of the world has already come in Jesus Christ. People who are not afraid of the end of the world because of that reality. Uh, people who look for the resurrection of the body. And we're, we're looking for it. So in this regard then, okay, because of those three categories of stories, when you, when you get your, your black belt as a theologian, you start to use these terms as a shorthand for the whole picture. So that if I'm hanging out with a bunch of other pastors, and he says, 
yada, 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 blasphemy, blasphemy, I'll say, that goes against the first article. Or if he would say, we're having this kind of issue in my congregation and this and that and this and that, I might say, well, that's a third article issue. And in saying that, I very quickly can move the conversation into a certain, a certain story, a certain way of thinking about things. And so uh, what, what you probably think of as Lutheran, which is good, I don't say this is bad, but most of what we think about is second article, at least as we talk about it, right? What should you hear preached in every sermon? Who should you hear preached about in every sermon? Jesus. Jesus doing what? Dying and rising. Where is that in the creed? It's in the second article. So Lutherans are good second article confessors. Um, and that's not bad. We, we need all of them. I'm trying to say tonight, I want to challenge you to think that we have a blind spot, and our blind spot is not the second article. The Pentecostal movement would say our blind spot is the third article, the Spirit, because they think to have the Spirit, you've got to have tongues, and you've got to have miracles, and a bunch of other stuff. And I say poppycock to that. Um, we have all sorts of Holy Spirit going on. Uh, uh, when you make the sign of the cross, remember the name of Father, Son, and Spirit, you're confessing that the Spirit has unified you by faith to Jesus. When I forgive your sins in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit, in the office of the ministry, that's the work the Spirit does. How do I know that? Because I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the forgiveness of sins, right? So the, the, the Spirit's there. We've, we've, we've got this all the time and in spades. Think about it this way. Ah, i got to go a little further here. This is kind of fun, I think. This is in my book, Echo. So if we take the first, the second, and the third article, part, story, Father, Son, Spirit, and we kind of coordinate off a little bit so that Jesus and the cross stands apart as the main thing. It's a really bad cross. It's like a T. And you took the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments, the other two chief parts of the catechism, the Lord's Prayer and the life it asks for, it's a life of faith in God as your Father, wanting His will to be done, wanting His kingdom to be here, uh, wanting to be forgiven, delivered from evil, all of that is really a third article reality. So you can take the Lord's Prayer and you can smash it into the end of the Apostles' Creed in your head and know that it's there. It's there as an idea. And you can do the same thing with the Ten Commandments. It belongs in the realm of creation. And that's kind of where we're going to go tonight here. But I want to I point something out, though. If I say Ten Commandments, Creed, and Lord's Prayer, think about it. Is there... It's a silly question, I guess. Is there one of those that isn't in the service very often? Is there one of those we just don't say very often? As opposed to the other two? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. Whereas we say the Creed and the Lord's Prayer in a form every time we get together. Isn't that interesting? Why would we do that? Right? It's a habit. Uh, I don't know the history of it. Our prayer and preaching service puts the Ten Commandments in the service. It's one of the reasons I love that service. Um... But my, my contention then is that the battle that we're fighting as Christians right now in America is not first a battle for people to know the name Jesus. I think everyone and their mom out there has heard the name Jesus. They have all sorts of wrong ideas about him. But it's not necessarily for lack of hearing about him. Um, 
Now, the Holy Spirit, you can make the contention that they haven't heard that uh, or heard about the forgiveness of sins. But the piece that I think most people just really don't believe is that there's a creator. There's a creator who made creation. Now, I think the most obvious like public example of this is evolutionary theory, which we've talked about in here before, right? So evolutionary theory purports, says, that everything kind of comes out of chaos on accident. And just took a long time, but now we're here. Right? Totally makes sense. Um, and I say that snarky in my head because in theory, even my comment that it makes sense would be a chaotic accident, right? One of many. And so it can't make sense to make sense. Like, it's, it's a nonsensical statement. Anyhow, if you didn't catch that, that's all right. So, yeah, evolution is there as part of it. But I think it's, it's more than just that. Um, but it does connect to this idea of chaos. Because what, what the old Lutherans, the old Christians, and the, and the Bible teaches it's not just that there was a creator who just made stuff and so it's made. It's because there's a creator who made stuff that stuff does make sense. The word for that is design. That's design. So when I talk about the first article in shorthand, I'm not necessarily talking about the father who dwells in approachable light and the mystery of that and how we might imagine him to be. Instead, what I'm thinking of is that that father, whoever he is, how he's revealed himself to us is that he built the world that works. He built the world that makes sense, that, that functions, even though we've messed it up so bad. Because we've messed it up pretty bad, and it still works. Uh, it still works. Um, I was in a conversation recently with somebody about government, you know, republic versus uh, uh, monarchy versus yada yada, right? I can't remember where this was because it, it had to do somehow with some of our mythologies about our founding fathers as Americans and how, oh yeah, this is what it was. Because, like, did you, I didn't know this and I've never checked the source, I was just told this. But apparently, the Articles of Confederation, which we all were kind of taught, were like, they didn't work or whatever. Well, I don't know. They didn't try it very long. But the guys who signed the Constitution, if you look at their, like the money they made on various property investments and whatnot, before and after, they all did very well in becoming a republic. Um, so, you know, how much was the work of the founding fathers, and this, this is the point, I don't really care about the politics, you have a bunch of humans in a room deciding the future of a bunch of other humans. Are they going to think about everybody else, or are they going to think about themselves? And we want to believe, oh, they probably put everyone's needs in front of them. Well, do you watch Fox or CNN? Is that how it works now? It's not how it works now. It's not how it ever works. So, so, but, so then here's the thing. Is the problem then politics? Is the problem then authority of people over people? Is the problem decisions being made? No. The problem is people, right? men, sinful, fallen humanity. So in this, then, it's, it's, it is essential for us to believe two, two things. And they really are in the Augsburg Confession, which we've touched on briefly. 
the first article, ha, the first thing we say that's not something else is that God exists. The second thing we say that's not something else is that we have sin. And they're speaking of words that we don't define enough. What is sin? Well, God, that's just it. It's rebellion against the design. It is a disbelief that the design is good. It's the heart of what it means to be simple. We don't think God's plan for it is as good as it could be. And we want to improve it a little bit. For Adam, that meant figuring out what evil was like. That'll make it better, he thought. Didn't work out. Strangely, we just want to repeat that scenario over and over and over again. God says, I've got an answer, and we go, i got a better one. I'll figure it out. Now, I don't want to harp on that too much. What I want to dig into more tonight is, is this suggestion that anything or almost anything that really is upsetting you about life in the United States right now is a first article issue. It's a first article issue. And I actually think a lot of it is tied to one tiny piece of it. I'll save that for later. I just want to try to tie them to it to begin with. So, to do that, we're going to look at Luther's explanation, which I guess is already up there, right? Yeah. Yep. And I want us to think really deeply about this. I mean, it's for some of you, this will be really familiar. It's like, I've, I got it memorized. I could rattle it off. For some of you, it's, it might be the first time you've seen it, although it shouldn't be. You should all have read it at some point in homework. But what does it mean that God has made me and then not me alone, right? All creatures. So the first thing about being human or existing under God is that we're, we're with others. How are we with others? Well, this is an interesting thing right there. Body and soul. Oh, we could tangent on that for a while. Um, where's your soul? Patrick thought he knew for a moment. How do you know you have one? How do you know you have one? You just believe it. Why? Why? Go ahead. Your personality is your soul? That's interesting. So, why is it that your personality changes when you're hungry? Does your soul need, like, glucose to run on? Isn't that interesting? Like, think about it. And, and it, so if it's, it, it can't just be your personality, but then, so then what, what is your soul? Andrew, you got something back there? Um, we believe that we have a soul, like, like we heard it I would agree with that, for sure, yeah. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Where did the idea come from? Now, I'm surprised nobody said, because the Bible says so yet, um, if you did, I would say, show me where. <laughs> now, to be fair, the word soul does show up in your English. The word spirit shows up in your English, often referring to the same thing, right? You also have the Holy Spirit, which we'll usually put a capital on it, 
but they can be the same word, they can be different words. So the, the question is not whether you can find the English word soul used to refer to your livingness and the fact that you're not a rock in the Bible. The question is why you assume that it means this other thing that's you that's not your body at all and somehow exists in your body, kind of somewhere, like where? If you cut off your hand, have you lost any soul? What about your head, right? We assume an awful lot about that, and it, I'm not going to be, I'm not an expert in this, but you kind of have to just take what I'm saying at least and trust it as what I think. What we have heard so often that Andrew mentioned and we just kind of assume to be true, that is a matter of Greek philosophy. That is Plato and Aristotle more than it is the Bible. When the Bible uses this word, what it really means is your life. And it never intends it to mean your life without your body. You might, a couple places, like Revelation, John under the altar sees the spirits of those slain for the faith. It doesn't use soul, it calls them spirits at that point. And, well, why did, what were they trying to get at versus what are we trying to know? So, when God makes man, he, he comes down to the dirt, however he did it, I have no idea. He gets in the dirt, he forms man out of the clay, and then he breathes, which just so happens to be the word spirit, right? Spirit, wind, breath, all same word. He breathes upon him, and then it says he became a life, no, he became a living being, a living being. Now that living being there, I, I'm pretty sure it's the word nephesh, is the one that will usually be translated as soul the rest of the Old Testament. And from which the New Testament use of the word is always kind of getting pulled. But see, when he becomes this living being, nephesh thing, does that mean without the body? And the spirit that God blew into him, I mean, what was that? Was it the Holy Spirit? Yeah, it was. So then, what about your spirit? Is there a difference? Um, now, I'm not, if I sound like I'm crazy, maybe I am. Um, all I want you to consider, though, is that body and soul aren't divisible. Like, you can't divide them. They are one thing, so far as you are. And the best we can call it is that it's you. And if you want to find you, there's only one way to find it. It's the body. You can't point to your soul. All you can do is point to the body and say, well, my body's alive, and that means in some way God's spirit has made that happen. I'm not merely a rock. I am a spirit as well. But I'm a spirit that is a body. I'm not a body with a spirit. I'm a spirit that is a body. I'm a body that is a spirit. You think, well, that's intense. Yeah, we're the head of creation. We're the pinnacle of it. No one else got this. The angels didn't get this. The dogs didn't get this. Only us um, in this way. And that's a valuable thing in and of itself. When you look at popular things happening on every main street of every town in America, yoga studio, yoga studio. I'm okay with stretching. That's fine. I'm okay with breathing. That's fine. Why is yoga so popular right now? What is it doing for people? Now, you might think, well, it's spiritual. It's about their soul. And you go in and they talk about how they're 
they're, they're doing spiritual things, but at the end of the day, what are they really doing? They're, they're looking at their body very, very carefully and learning to love it and care for it in a way that's actually pretty healthy at the end of the day. And then they're calling that spiritual, which is actually kind of closer to the understanding of who we are than this Greek body-soul duality thing, which ultimately becomes your body's not real, your soul's the real thing. And that can go two directions. And this, this has happened many times in history. So all the way back early church, they fought this. We're fighting it now. One version is, okay, if, if my soul's the real thing and my body is just the shell I'm walking around in for now, then either I should deny my body everything because the spiritual is the real thing and I should go sit on a hillside and be a monk and never have any pleasure to show how spiritual I am. Or the other side is, since my body isn't anything, I might as well do whatever I want because I can't hurt myself too much. And both of those, again, have happened in history, and you can find them taught in the name of Christianity now. But both of those require a rejection of the unity of body and, and spirit, body and soul. Um, yeah, I, I, did you have? Uh, is the body the carrier for the soul? Because when we die, the body is not. I know. Do yes. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I would say that the um, the language the language of the spirit doing what you just said is a when and if it does say that in scripture is the exception, as opposed to things like he's asleep. The little girl on the bed, or his little boy, little girl. He's, she's only sleeping. She's not somewhere else. He doesn't say she's somewhere else. She's right there. She's a dead body. So where's this spirit thing? He doesn't care. He doesn't talk about that. He just wakes her up. So it's, it's not that you're wrong about when we die, the body is put in the ground, and I'm with Jesus somehow. Okay? But to think that there's like this see-through version of me that's like floating and walking around everywhere my body goes right now, and then it dies, and then the see-through version goes up with Jesus somehow, that is, that's not what we're taught to see or believe. We're not, to, we're not taught to see our soul as something other than our body. Our soul and our body are unified realities that death and sin do in fact tear apart as God's curse against us. But that's not what's supposed to be. So it's even that, is, it's abnormal. Death is abnormal. You being without your body is abnormal. It's not, it's beyond natural. Um, and I would even go so far as to contend that you can't exist without your body at all. So when you die and go to heaven, you're not without a body. Now, do a little math on this one in your own head for a second. How could that be? How could that be? And we want to take a guess. It's really obvious, and yet it's like, wait, why did I never think of that kind of thing? Well, that's the end of time. That's paradise. That's the resurrection. Yeah. Jesus has a body. Yeah. Do you think it's just flowery language that the Bible says you are in Christ Jesus? They died in Christ. 
It's just symbolic, right? Or it's not. It's not at all. And that his body in the bread and wine that is now joined with you is, in fact, his body. So you truly are in him and he's in you. And when you die, you're not dead. You are alive because part of you is him and will rise from the dead no matter what. And then you're one with him, so you're, you're with him in that heavenly place, whatever that means. And again, we, have, we really don't have a way of imagining that. This is all a tangent, by the way. Um, but it's, it's connected to my, my assertion that so many of our problems right now, our frustrations, our confusions, uh, the things that our children are being led astray by, are issues of first article understanding. Let me throw one more piece on body and soul while we're at it, um, just for fun, because this won't start a fight. Um, cremation. Cremation. Can a Christian get cremated? Right? And if you don't know, kids, cremation is when you die, you have two options. We can put your body in the ground, or we can burn your body into ashes and then put that in the ground. And... Um, it's a fairly new thing, by and large, for Western civilization. Last 50, 60, 70 years. Um, is it okay? It is cheaper. Glenn's got a great point there. It is definitely cheaper. Yes, Emma. I don't know if that's the case anymore. It definitely, I think you're right, though. You know, there is great sickness. Burning the stuff can get rid of it. That's true. Um, why, why did old churches have graveyards at the church? Anastasia? That was kind of was the idea. They figured they were going to wake up, and they wanted to wake up by their... Loved ones? I mean, really, you're dead. Do you need to lie dead beside the body of your dead husband or wife for the next thousand years? Is it really important? Are you going to feel a difference? Right? No, you're not. So why are you doing that? Well, part of it's just sentimental. But part of it is, in fact, even the sentimentality is led by a belief in the resurrection of the body. So, okay, I'll, 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 I don't want to spend a lot of time on cremation, but there are pastors out there, Lutheran pastors, good pastors, who say, no, you can't be cremated as a, as a Lutheran. Can't do it. I will say that. I'll say instead, it's not the best possible thing we could do to say what we believe about the body. If we really wanted to say, I'm pretty confident this body's coming back from the grave, why would I burn it? Why wouldn't I take care of it and put it in the ground? But it really doesn't change what happens one way or the other, so... I'll go back to Glenn's point and ask my kids, what have I told you about cremation and me? Food on the table or dad's got a coffin? Put food on the table, burn my body. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. Because it does matter. Because in the first article, everything we do matters in real lives. Right? This isn't theory. This is about real lives. And if I put my idea and my theory above real lives, I end up hurting real lives. Right. Um, more on that, but go ahead, Sarah. Is there really a difference, though? Because I mean, people who were married 100 years ago, that was mm. like saying their bodies are ashes. Now, anyway, Depends, but yeah. Really, uh, the 
it's not a physical difference. It is a difference of why and what people see. So let me, let me say it a little differently. If, if we lived in an age where there was no rising, I say Gnostic, I mean Hindu, I mean body, soul, division, Eastern mystical, um, you know, I don't, my body is not who I am, I'm just a cat in a human body. And in that, in a world that there was none of that, and everything was like super respectful of the body, and we were running out of food on the planet, and we just decided to burn the bodies for safety, like, who cares? The, the thing that's fascinating is that our rise of cremation amongst Christians in America has come hand in hand with a disbelief in the resurrection of the dead. So that when I started talking about the resurrection two years ago, people were saying, what? Really? What? I thought, what? I've never heard this before. Is that an accident? Is correlation the same as causation? Right? Do you know what I mean when I say that? Just because two things happen at the same time, does that mean they're causing each other? No. But it is interesting. It, it just doesn't seem like it's some random thing. Right? I honestly don't care if you get cremated. I really, I mean, I do, but I don't. But I do care that you understand how, how innovational cremation is for Christians that early Christians refused to do it. Why? Well, because they believed the body was coming back and it was their way of saying that. So if we're not going to say it that way, how are we going to say it? That's maybe the more important question. How do we take all these kinds of realities about our life and say we believe what God has said about it? Yeah? That's the really important question. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I don't know, maybe to, to spite us, you know. I don't know. I've not heard of that, honestly. Um, but you do hear a lot of other kind of wacky stuff, like um, I'm going to have my ashes scattered on the ocean so I can become part of the breeze or what, you know. Uh, or now you can do stuff, you know this? You can, like, have your ashes, like, put into or connected to, like, the seed of a tree that gets planted instead. And so now you can be a tree. Or shot in space. Or sh that'd be fun. I could do that. Um, but notice, I shall become a tree. What is that? It's crass paganism. It is a crass belief that you are but nature, and nature is a cycle of death and rebirth, and that's all there ever was, and it's all great, and someday I'll be a butterfly, and someday I'll be a slug. It's crass paganism. And so just to see that, it doesn't matter if you, if you actually have to, you know, you, they won't sell you the pine box like they should, and so you say, fine, I'll do the cremation instead, Fine, but know why, right? And know what the threat is around us. Go ahead again, Sarah. Yes, agreed. Context has a lot to do with it. Um, go ahead, Meredith. I think that when you're giving a testimony, there's something really powerful about having a casket that's open with a dead body in front of you 
as opposed to an urn that's sitting there. And there's something really powerful about closing that casket and taking that big white blanket that we call a pall, which is like the white you were clothed in on the day of your baptism as well, and covering your dead body in this white representing the baptism that is being put into Christ's resurrected body. Doing that to the urn, not quite the same thing, right? It is, it's about symbolism, which is why if we're going to ask the question, is it right or wrong, my answer is that's the wrong question. The real question is what are we saying and how are we saying it and do we even know? So when we've changed what we say without knowing we changed it, that's when it's scary. And that's kind of where we are on this one, right? Um, now, I really wanted to get to what does it mean to be a body and have eyes and ears, you got more than that though, right? All my members, my reason, my senses, and he still takes care of them. So, members. That's not the way we would normally talk today about our bodies or our minds, right? If we had uh, reason, right, as body and mind, Right, they got to say it. Um, it's an interesting word, too. Employment. What do you think of when you hear the word employment? Got a job. Going to make me some cash, right? 12 bucks an hour, I'm good to go. That's what we think of with employment. Is that the only meaning of the word employment or to employ? It's a much deeper word than I got a job, right? Does it mean explore? Um, well, you're maybe thinking of deploy, which is not really explore either, but that's like to send out, sort of. But you know, when you employ somebody and they have employment, what are you doing with them? You're the, you're the boss. You're using them. <laughs> Very good. Now, I guess you could take that as a bad using, like, you know, you're, you're a user. Um, but you could also take it as a, as a good thing, right? So you're making use of them. So that's a, kind of a bad K, isn't it? Um, this is the thing that I think we've stopped believing is possible. As, as American Lutherans, we don't believe in making use of my reason, and all my senses as Christians. We have no problem doing it in our own lives, right? I want to go out and get what I want. I'll use my reason and all my senses all the time. But when I'm going to start talking about something like telling the good news about Jesus to somebody else, now I just recoil in fear and don't think that there is any place for reason or senses. Huh? Or when I talk about even knowing God. Well, it's gone. It's gone now, right? This whole conversation tonight probably is still too intellectual. I'm trying to find a way to not have it be, but it probably is. Um, is the only way to know God through intellectual pursuit? No. You only know God through the words of Jesus, through the words and sacraments of Jesus. But does that mean it has to be, I read a book, I take notes, I memorize some stuff. Is that Christianity? Um, no. 
To know God is, is to trust what he has said. And we can use some jargon, law, gospel. But what does that mean? Well, wisdom, design, creation, that'd be the law. Gospel, now we're back to who is Jesus? What'd he do? So in this then, I really think, again, that it's in the realm of wisdom and the design of creation that most of our fights are happening. Now, let's see if I can, if I can pull this down even further. Um, this isn't going to help me as much. Uh, however, house and home does imply it a little bit. You got marriage, right? Isn't there family? Yeah, wife and children, marriage. Land and animals. Wouldn't that be the environment? Is environment a big deal these days? Everyone's talking about the environment, right? Um, where is uh, defends me against all danger? Does it actually say government? No, that's in the Lord's Prayer. But you got government there. Um, you know, guarding all these things. Or um, let's flip it on its head a little bit here and go to Ten Commandments for a second. Okay? Fifth commandment is you shall not murder. Right? Last week we had one of the biggest get togethers of Christians in America. It happens every year. It's called the March for Life. What are they marching for? They're marching because we're killing babies, those babies who have bodies. Fifth commandment is a pro life commandment. Okay? Um, what's the sixth commandment? You shall not commit adultery. Okay? Why are we arguing about bathrooms at Target in the last couple of years? Huh? Is it because marriage is no longer thought to be marriage? Man and woman are no longer thought to be distinct from each other. Uh, people are supposed to be free to do whatever they want with their own bodies, but we're not talking about murdering. We're talking about sex. Okay, well, there's Sixth Commandment is the issue. Everything with the trans agenda, everything with LBGDQ, it's all Sixth Commandment. Seventh Commandment, um, theft, stealing. Um, oh, I had one for this the other day. Now I'm going to lose it. Uh, let's go to Eighth Commandment. Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness. Fake news? Right? What's fake news? It would be breaking the Eighth Commandment. Um, nine and ten, coveting. I mean, that one's so easy, it's sad. Uh, although, I'll go, I'll go a different direction with it. Um, I, I just read an article. It's going to be in my newsletter I send out next week on planned obsolescence. That sounds fun. Planned obsolescence. This is when your washing machine breaks two days after the warranty runs out, and you're like, they knew that, right? <laughs> they knew that. They, they do. And uh, there was a, a podcast I listened to. It was through NPR recently. This goes all the way back. This is stunning to me. There is a light bulb in a fire station in California that has been burning since like 1908. One light bulb, never turned off, still works, never gone out. Why aren't all light bulbs like this? Huh? The answer, because shortly after that, the major light bulb making companies of every nation in the planet got together, formed a cartel, and spent a decade making their light bulbs worse so that we would have to buy more of them. 
and this is this is like unassailable historical his, historical fact, right? Um, now, what's Apple doing with their batteries these days? I don't know, but one of the things the story showed that I thought was really interesting, they figured out whoever's they. It has been perceived that you can make your product worse to get people to buy more of them by it breaking, or you can just convince them that the next one you made is better. And so they'll just get addicted to buying more anyway. The example they used was the, the fight between Ford Motor Company and General Motors. Um, Ford had the market, right? Model T. Was, everyone had one. And then, uh, I forget the guy's name, who was in charge of General Motors. Ah, I can't remember his name. Um, he noticed two things. Uh, he noticed, well, one thing, and then it, it led to two things. Um, he noticed that the marketing of the Model T, black, square, uh, was largely appealing to men. And he wanted to get the, he, he noticed also that women spent, it was like 80% of the household income that was spent was, was through the ladies. It's like 1930s, right? Okay, so what did he do? He made colors. He released cars with colors, and he would talk about the, as soon as you had your new car, your new green, whatever the GM car was that came off the line, in the car front seat was a catalog of the next year's model. And GM went through the roof. They went through the roof. Because they figured out how to get you to want planned obsolescence. Now, why am I saying this? Our entire system of industry is built upon you being discontent with your life. And every message you get in the media today tells you, be discontent with your life until you pay us to fix it. And oh, by the way, here's the catalog for being discontent with your new product that didn't fix it. What commandment is this? You shall not covet. You shall not covet. Um, so Ten Commandments is everything we're dealing with. I haven't even gone into like, you know, the third through first and doctrine and all that kind of stuff. We're out of time anyway. But it's, it's not just about you shall not. And this is what I want you to take from this tonight. And, um, and we may continue it next week. It's not just, well, if we just knew you should not murder and should not commit adultery, then it would all make sense. The question that we really have to be able to answer to other people is, why should you not murder? Why should you not commit adultery? Uh, why should you not lie? What are the real first article results of that kind of behavior? What does it do? The fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. Paul tells us it's the only one that has its own promise. Do you remember that? You didn't have to memorize that part. We cut that part out when we memorize it. Honor your father and mother in order that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land, long on the earth. Well, if you're a good, pious person, you might think that that would mean that the lifespan you live is a direct correlation of your obedience to your mother and father, and that would lead to a great deal of guilt and fear of death, I imagine. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and say, that's completely wrong-headed. That's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. Because is the fourth commandment just about your obedience to your parents? No. All of the commandments are about, our first article, are about the design God made. What did God design that the fourth commandment tells us not to forget? Hmm? Authority. You're exactly right. And so if I decide that the central figure of authority in my world 
is not worthy of my respect, will I respect other authorities? No, I will not. If my civilization decides that, will we respect authority at all? No, we will not. And then what will happen? We will destroy each other is what will happen because we will not submit to anybody but ourselves. So that promise that you should honor father and mother, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land, is that you want a civilization that understands the value of protectors yeah, and the weak who need to be protected and the role of God-given authorities and structures that are built into our lives for that, of which father and mother are primary. And then in that, husband to wife is essential as well. Yeah. And from there you get to things like fathers of cities and fathers of congregations that Luther talks about in the large catechism. So why do I say that? So what are we watching happen right now in our country? We see a country that rejected authority a while ago and has continued to do it more and more. You can make the case that it was King George and the T. Um, I don't know when it really started. Uh, but we keep taking it up a level every generation. And we're at a point right now where there's not many things we can reject now. There's almost nothing left to reject. And as a result, and it's amazing. I listen, to, I listen to very reasonable, young, entrepreneurial business people who think we're going to be like making food, like meat grow in laboratories and, and visiting space in the next 20 years, and it'll turn into a utopia of paradise. And yet at the same breath, they'll talk about how they're not sure there's not going to be a race civil war going on in our streets in the next 10 years. Well, which one is it? And what could bring us Americans? Did you live through the 80s? I lived through the 80s. I was afraid of Russia, not my neighbor. What could bring us to this place now where we're afraid of our neighbors? And it, it's our rejection of authority is really what it is. Yeah? Uh, that we are a lawless society. So my point in all of this is that I want us as a congregation to be thinking about first article things as Christians. I want us to think about our bodies. I want to think about our marriages. I want to think about our property. I want to think about our names and our words. And I want to think about our, our contentment together. I want to think about how we handle authority and governance in the congregation. I want to think about how you handle authority and governance in your, your marriage, in your relationships. I want to think about where the word of God is in your life. That's third commandment. I want to think about how we pray. That's second commandment. Because I believe in God the Father Almighty. It's the first commandment. And he didn't just make this world, he redeemed it, he bought it back. He didn't buy it back so we could ignore it. He bought it back so that we could live in it as people who know its end and don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Huh? But to do that, i got to be able to say first article and have you have a clue what I'm talking about, too. So that's kind of what we did tonight, I hope. Did I? Honey? Yeah? Did I? Let's go. Let's go pray.